0: I love it. Yeah, I love it. The things that you've been making excuses for. And there's a couple of questions that I love to ask in those scenarios too. And one is if you won the lottery tomorrow, $100 million, didn't have to work after the initial period of partying, whatever, partying, traveling, whatever you <laughs> like after, like you get that out of your system, what would you spend your days doing when you didn't have to feel that you had to trade your time for money? Or the other way, which is a bit darker is you get a diagnosis tomorrow. You've got five years to live. You got a terminal illness. There's no nothing you can do to stop it, but you know that you have five years. So it's you know you, you're going to have to fill the time with something. What are you choosing to do? And what I like about that framing is the reality is that we all have a terminal illness. But the reality is, thankfully for most of us, that is we get a 65, 75, 85, 90, 95 year journey. But we act as if it's
1: forever, but it's not. So if you Hello, everyone. My name is Monte Ball, and I would love to provide a daily affirmation that I that I uh, go by. Um, it's not so much of an affirmation, but it is a quote that I live day to day by because I think it's important. And I'll just go ahead and get right into it. So the quote that I really, really enjoy is this one. Well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. Again, I'll say that again. Well, well, well if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. That is a quote that I live by day to day because I feel that, you know, obviously we all here right now, everyone who was engaging with untapped keg, listening to RJ share his story, I was sharing my story early on um, when we started the show. And um, one thing that I find important about that quote is, you know, we've all made mistakes in our past. Um, We all had to own up to those mistakes. And also, as we continue to go throughout our recovery journey, there are going to be some bumps in the road that we will have to um, climb over, in a sense. And also, if we, you know, attributed it any way to those bumps in the road, um, we have to own own those mistakes, own the consequences that come with it. And so for myself, I find that to be important, not only for us who are adults but for our youth as well to understand that every single day, right, we make choices, we make decisions, we we choose how we want our days to go. We choose, obviously, what we are going to engage with and all of the above. And because of that, there will be consequences for that and not necessarily bad all the time, right? Sometimes you'll make a decision that's going to better your life and those around you. Well, you should reap the rewards because of that. But obviously, if you are engaging in stuff that you know is detrimental to your your health, mental health, physical health all of the above, then when the time comes when you have to look yourself in the mirror, when those consequences start to boil over, you have to own that and move past it. And so for me, that is my affirmation. That's my daily quote that I live by. Well, 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 if it is not the consequences of my own actions. Um, that That's, that's one that I really love. So thank you. Sobriety is scary.
2: That's why Untapped Keg explores different perspectives of sobriety and mental health so that you know you are not alone. Hopefully, you can find something you can implement into your own life. Sobriety and mental health are topics that often are uncomfortable and complex. We do not shy away from any conversation. But you should know we try to be respectful. But there's always room to learn and grow. Everyone is welcome here, as you are, and you will be respected. We are not medical professionals and do not give medical advice. Please seek medical care if you need it. Now let's get to the show. Hey you, thanks for tapping into some Untapped Keg, podcast where we explore the different perspectives of sobriety and mental health. So that you can take something and implement it into your own life. My name is RJ Zimmerman. And before we get into our discussion today, I want to tell you about my friend, Jake Yoder and his coaching. So if you're looking for a coach to help you go sober, alcohol free, or just really get healthier, look up Jake Yoder at naturalhighsrecovery.com and he can help walk you through that go to the description, follow the link below, schedule a free call. Jake cares more about you than he does the money. So if he feels you're not a good fit, he will try to connect you with somebody who might be and send you on some different avenues. So now that we're there, I'd like to introduce you to a special guest. Uh, It's somebody who we met very interestingly um, on Instagram around my, mine and his nine-year sobriety date. And it's Mr. Rob Gilbert. Is that right?
0: Wow, you nailed the pronunciation. So
2: I did take French in high school and I was told I have a pretty decent accent. So sometimes I like to slip into it. Uh, So Rob is an entrepreneur, coach, and mentor. He founded Growth Habit in 2019 and has helped more than 200 entrepreneurs launch and grow their business from over 13 different countries. He is also the author of Die Before They Do. Oh, let's see if we can get that on there. A uh, book that I just read cover to cover and is really chronicles his life story, which is unreal. And I absolutely love it. Uh, go to growthhabit.org to find more about Rob. How are you doing today, Rob?
0: Doing wonderful. So happy to hang out with you. I feel like I'm hanging out with an old friend. (laughs) I
2: agree. It's like when we jumped on the call, it's just, we slipped right into it. Like we've known each other for years. Um, you know, one thing that I want to start this conversation off with and kids, uh, earmuffs, who the fuck is Rob G.? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I love that you dropped that in. Who the fuck is Rob D? Well, that's I'm on my third career. Career number one was making and producing music, running record labels, DJing, and when I was doing the music stuff, that was my my music name. And the, for you know, most people who are listening, you won't know what RJ is referring to. But at one point in time, when I was trying to break into a highly competitive music scene where it was either you were on all the big flyers in Toronto, your name was being broadcast on 20, 30, 40,000 of these flyers, and you were in the club or you weren't. And I couldn't crack the nut. And my solution was I made my own damn flyers. And I had a little bio and a write-up and I printed 15,000 of them and I handed them out alongside all the other promoters. And that was a, a campaign I did in my music days that still gets brought up now. So it's, it's funny that you like <laughs> that. I When I read it, uh, read that chapter, I was like, that's going to
2: be how I asked the first question for sure. <laughs> this is it. So Rob, you, I, I told everybody at the start that you are also nine years sober. Um, what did that look like to get to, I would say, the
0: point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to stop drinking. Hmm. It's something that I wanted to do for a long time before I had the guts and the ability to do it. I come from a family of alcoholics. My dad is the most functioning alcoholic I have had the pleasure to to know. And both my grandfathers, same thing. So it was always there. And I always saw kind of the, the dangers of it. Uh, but with myself, it was the behavior I fell into was normalized because I was in the music industry. I was in nightclubs. I was at raves. I was at bars. I was at places where it's like, well, of course you're getting drunk. Everyone's having a shot. Like it's just, it was just so part of the normal behavior. and. um, it was fun until it wasn't and it was fun until I didn't like who I saw in the mirror. And then it was the, and the real coming to a head was when it was affecting how I was showing up as a father. Like I was, I didn't like who I was. I didn't like how I was showing up as a father. And it's funny. There was a couple instances where like, you know, a terrible night happened. I did something shameful. I embarrassed myself. I barfed somewhere. Like I just did something really stupid and I was, and I'd say to myself, okay, like not again. Well, I won't drink again, uh, but that never lasted and I did do one stint. I did a thirty day stint as an experiment one day after a really bad episode, uh but I went back to it because that was my life that was in my environment. That's where I was you know what was normalized in the community I was in and when I walked away from music and i I went through a divorce, walking away from a career of eighteen years in a short period of time, and then really left me questioning like, well, who the heck?" Am I, who do I want to be? And I started flirting with being more healthy uh, and I felt myself pressured to drink. Like I I was the, I tell the story in the book and I was out with a friend and it was solstice and uh, I'd been deathly ill with the flu. And we went to a bar because that's where I was going to hang out after the solstice festivities. And I didn't want to drink, but I felt the pressure that I needed to hold something in my hand. And as soon as I did, my internal voice is like, are you really that weak? Like you you chump, you sucker. So I turned to the friend I was with, I was like, I'm not gonna drink all next year. Because the idea of even then saying like, I'm never gonna drink again was was unbelievable. Like how the heck could I do that? So that and the person I was with did, said the absolute best thing possible. They said, you can't do that. Which to me was a challenge that I internalized. Um, and then, yeah, it was it was hard. And then it became easier. And as the months wore on and my identity changed, I then identified as someone who didn't drink. I then was fine dealing with all the questions. People like, yo, oh, what's wrong with you? Or what happened? And <laughs> navigated all the all the, the BS of that. And then when New Year's came a year later and it was done, it was like, I don't know if I was gonna drink or not drink. And I just reflected on how much better I felt, how much more energy I had, how much more money I had. And quietly I knew that I always didn't want to drink so I, I didn't so now it's I'm still not drinking I've just passed nine years you know saying it's a forever thing Ooh, that sounds scary but I can say that today's not today today's not the day that I'm gonna have a drink and we'll see about tomorrow and that's I
2: mean that's beautiful sentiment too right and I think it really illustrates like everybody's personal journey to get there like The journeys are somewhat similar. They're never exactly the same. And that's, you know, my dad has not drank in almost 30 years. So I watched that, knew that uh, there was a good chance that when it came to alcohol, I was going to struggle with it a little bit. And it still took me about, you know, almost 10 years of drinking uh binge drinking that I was like now it's time similar things didn't like the person in the mirror and uh so that kind of set me up that I knew I was going to have to but it's still uh it's something that's really difficult to come to the conclusion you know you know it in your in your heart in your gut everywhere but yeah it's like you depending on the words that you use and how you do it but if you really look at just today just this hour Just the next five minutes, I'm not going to. It it gets easier and you start looking further out. So after you gave up alcohol and you stopped drinking, when did you feel that you moved from just surviving to get to the point where you're thriving?
1: Mm.
0: It's been an ongoing process. I feel like I'm still working at that. I feel like I am a work in progress at all times. And I think once I had done that, um, you know, the first few weeks were tough. The first few Mm -hmm. months were tough because it's social situations. It's going out for dinner with friends. It's being at a work event. It's doing these things where it's expected. And if you're not, then you feel you have to explain yourself. You have to justify. And then there's this weird social pressure. And then I started changing some of the people I was hanging out with, and intentionally sought out different groups of people in different communities, and that made it a little bit easier and then I'm around was around those people, and those people were thinking about how they can be intentionally creating their lives and they were entrepreneurs and they were coaches and they were you know more spiritual or just doing things in a bit living life a bit more rebelliously full stop, regardless of alcohol. We're just you know against the grain of some of the the normal things that society pushes down our throats, and then definitely, I think. By like halfway through that year, it was easier and better. And then it definitely that New Year's when I decided not to go back to drinking. I was like, no, this is serving me. I'm going to continue it. It showed to me that like, oh, I can do a really tough thing. And this seemed impossible to me. Now I have I feel I've done it and I can keep doing it. And that fueled me forward because from there it was then leaving a job. Like I, had to, I ended up in a really high paying, secure six figure job with a director title, two young children. I was divorced and my finances had gotten to a terrible place and I was coming out of that finally. But then anytime I took time alone with myself, the little voice is like, yeah, you're meant to do more. So I think me living alcohol free and, and achieving that and showing myself I could do that was definitely a stepping stone towards so much of that stuff that happened afterwards. That's,
2: you know, having those conversations with yourself is so important because it, similar thing for me where i had a job had the house had two kids family and it's like every single time i'm driving to and from work sometimes hour hour and a half it's i'm talking to myself like is this what i'm doing every day is this there's i feel like there's something more like i love my job i love what i'm doing i love the people that i get to do that with but there's just something that's not fulfilling in there and that's really when the work begins and you know it's taken me i would say 8 years to find that thriving really like mm-hmm. there it got it's easier after a while but once i made the decision you know what i'm done waking up and dreading the day i'm i want to smile i want to find joy if somebody had asked me, what do you do that makes you smile? Where, where do you find joy in your life? I wouldn't have had an answer not too long ago. And now it's like, okay, I'm starting to define it. I'm trying a lot of new things. Um, I'm really getting my body back to a place where it does what I want it to. It feels, my body feels better. Like I work so long on my mind. Time to increase that mind-body connection. And then there was something else. So then I've gotten more spiritual because of that whole, you know, that triumvirate, the physical, mental, and spiritual part. Mm -hmm. And then finding my emotions. Turns out emotions have names if you want to find them. Uh, It's not just angry and not not as angry. (laughs) So that's been really important on my journey as well. Um, You are a very creative person. And you have a very creative soul. How does the creativity help you to... I would say, like, let's say you come up to um, a challenge. How does that creativity help you to move past that, problem solve it?
0: I think that real creativity comes from iteration. Real creativity comes from trying a different solution, like one of the cheesiest brainstorming questions that works is like, what would be the most terrible answer? What's the worst answers possible? Like wrong answers only. And sometimes it's a really great way to start when you're trying to ideate through a problem. So having that is something that I enjoy doing, that I've practiced doing in music, in business, in so many other facets of my life it means that, yeah, when I run into a problem, it's not my default isn't to assume that there's no way around it. My, my brain's like, well, what if there was a way around it? What would be the worst thing I could do in the scenario? And I just start playing it out almost like as a game. And I think that helps a a whole lot. And I honestly think that we're all creative. Like, it's fun hearing you talk about your journey back to like asking yourself questions and, and getting connected with your emotion, all those things. Because we have all that in us, but it's just been repressed. And I feel the same thing with creativity. You think back to how we acted in public school and grade school and the things we did as children. And we just we just expressed ourselves. We didn't matter if we were had a good voice, we sang. It didn't matter if we were good at drawing, we drew. It didn't matter if we were good actors, we acted out scenes and scenarios with friends. But then along the way of, you know, the school system which was created to make turn farm workers into good factory, obedient factory workers, which is like show up on time, line up, don't go inside till the bell rings, ask permission before you go, you leave your workstation, only go on the bell ring. Like it's that factory schooling system erodes out all of the creativity and not just the school system, but then the bigger part of society in general, like the corporate ladders and so many jobs, it's about you remember, you listen, you mesmerize, you regurgitate it, you know, you don't stick your head out too far because you'll get your head cut off and all of that wears away creativity. So I think my curiosity, my childlike curiosity, I've just kept that flame alive longer. Uh, I think is really, cause I think everyone is creative. You know how I said, like, we're mirrors of one another.
2: And (laughs) so um, in September, I finally kind of uh, re-established what my top two core values are for myself. And they are curiosity and creativity. And the way that I define creativity, which is so similar to you, is taking two seemingly unrelated subjects and finding the link between them and doing things like that. And like that to me, like that. So getting curious to learn about different subjects, Oh, you can bring these two together or we always did it that way, but there's, there's a different way that we can do this. And if we try it, sure, it might go slow the first time, but you realize the effort you put in was not as much and you could see how it could get faster the more you do something. Those things are important. And then getting over your fear of being judged. Like I'm not a very good dancer, but what brings me joy is being out in public, hearing a song and then just like dancing, you know, shimmying them shoulders and having a good time. And like, um, so when I read that in, in your book as well, like I go to the Virginia beach boardwalk and I'll just be walking and I'll just start dancing a little bit. And people look at me, they'll smile. They don't, they don't care that I'm doing it. They're just, it honestly lights them up a little bit if they notice. Some people don't notice and that's okay too. So just finding those things in your heart that can bring a smile to your face and make you laugh by yourself. Like who knew you can do that? It's allowed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're allowed. You don't need to be just be miserable, waiting for the weekend, biding your time until you can hopefully maybe one day retire. Yeah. And There's you don't have more.
2: to have to wake up being like, oh, what do I got to do today? You can wake up and be like, you know, what joy can I create today? Or what is something that I can do to make myself smile today? What, what is something I can get out and do? And that's, that's really important too. That's the, so- the question I would ask like people listening and watching this are, is what is the one thing you've been wanting to do for years, but you've been giving yourself excuses not to? and you say they're reasons but they're excuses cuz for me it was yoga and that has changed my relationship with my body and everything else like i was so stiff and i didn't know it and i'm still really stiff don't get me wrong but i can feel the flexibility coming and it just helps me get through everything and i'm only 36 and i'm my hips bad chasing around a 3 and a 5 year old so Get out there and do something. Have some fun.
0: I love it. Yeah, I love it. The things that you've been making excuses for and there's a couple of questions that I love to ask in those scenarios too and one is if you won the lottery tomorrow 100 million dollars, didn't have to work after the initial period of partying, whatever partying, traveling, whatever <laughs> you like after like you get that out of your system, what would you spend your days doing when you didn't have to feel that you had to trade your time for money or the other way, which is a bit darker is you get a diagnosis tomorrow. You've got five years left. You got a terminal illness. There's no nothing you can do to stop it, but you know that you have five years. So it's, you know, you're going to have to fill the time with something. What are you choosing to do? And what I like about that framing is the reality is that we all have a terminal illness, but the reality is thankfully for most of us, that is we get a 65, 75, 85, 90, 95 year journey but we act as if it's forever, but it's not. So if you squish that timeline, like, what if you had five years, what would you spend your day doing? Then the answers that come up tend to be a bit more honest and a bit more aligned.
2: And that's where you move to thriving, right? That's where you move from surviving to thriving. And really like, that's my definition of thriving. It's, are you turning your passion into your purpose somehow? It doesn't have to be your work, but at least, find a way to implement it into your life. Mm. Don't be ashamed of being a fan and, you know, trying to hide things. And yes, this is new for those who are listening. I'm pointing to a brand new proton pack that I have that is amazing. And when I put batteries in it, it's going to light up and be incredible. Um, (laughs) I'm so excited for it. So excited. But I used to hide this side of myself. I used to, not talk about my family. I used to just kind of try to put myself in the box that other people were putting me in. And that led me to moving across the country because I felt like I needed that kind of a change to break out. And it's been life-changing, life-altering just by far the best decision I've made in my adult life. and. It's one that I ultimately made for my kids and everything, but also myself because I was not happy. So it's hard to be a good parent when you're not happy. Let's get out there and do something. Implement your passion somehow into your life. (laughs) I I love love, uh, when you get nervous, uh, like if you want to do something and your nerves are creeping up, I love the question that you ask yourself. (laughs)
0: which is, can they take away my birthday? If I do this and it doesn't go wrong, can they take away my birthday? And it's a stupid question. It's a really silly question. I enjoy my birthday. It's a very reflective time of year when my birthday comes up. I always pause and think about, you know, where I'm at in life. Am I happy? Am I living aligned to my values? And, you know, when I am, then it's great. And when I'm not, then I'm able to make adjustments and changes. So obviously the answer to the question is always no. But I will pause and I'll ask myself that question. So, because I love the way you said it earlier, you go you are dancing on the boardwalk, and either people see you light up and they smile, and then the reality is a whole bunch of people don't see you because we are always walking around worried about like what are they going to think, what's she going to say, the judgment, the fear, the worry. Everyone's all balled up in their own head that they normally don't notice. They really don't notice. So finding a way to to talk to yourself, have those conversations with yourself, to get you to to take the action regardless. Another exercise I love doing with myself is fear setting. Uh, Tim Ferriss exercise. It's really simple. And it's just as far as like, what's the absolute worst thing that could happen. If that worst thing happened, what are things I could do to start turning it around? Um, you know, if that worst thing happened, uh, what would be the upsides of the learning I get from it? Like he just asked some of these questions to get really clear on what the heck it is. And, it's like the monster under your bed. I used to be afraid of the monster under my bed. And to the point where I would be like afraid to go to the washroom or go grab a book off the bookshelf. My mom would come in and like, well, let's look, let's put a big light. She'd come out with a flashlight. Let's look under the bed. There's nothing there. The same thing with these fears. We make them up in our mind. And if we act like they're not there or try and repress them, then they get bigger. They really thrive. And the, they, they, those monsters thrive in the darkness. But if you're willing to stop and ask questions like, where is this coming from? Whose voice is this? When did I first start believing this? In this case, like, what am I really afraid of? What are the chances of it? What's the worst case scenario? What's the chances of it happening? What could I do to turn things around if it did? And then in what ways is good me making an attempt? Like, what good is there from me stretching myself here?
2: Yeah. That's, it's really important. And for people who were, raised like me or um, just feel like hey, you have that chip on your shoulder. It's okay to admit that you're afraid too. Nothing is wrong with saying, I am scared. Mm-hmm. I would always, no matter what, even if I was doing something that I was scared, I would always say, no, I'm not scared because I thought that that would make it so I'm not scared or that, you know, that's what I have to say. And You know, I have that stoic shell that goes up that like nobody can tell what's going on underneath. And I've polished that sucker for so long that really people don't understand like what's going on underneath when I'm freaking out or I'm happy or whatever it is. Even I, there's a point where I can't even tell what's going on underneath, but there's strength and power in admitting I am scared. And then you do it anyway and you have so much fun but you know what you're doing because you're not so focused on I'm not afraid when you admit that you're afraid it allows your body to just open up a little bit and you laugh harder you smile bigger and you actually enjoy the moment of what's going on and that's also you know something important that I wanted to share because the first time that I admitted I was scared to myself was actually I mean since I was a kid but Uh, was October (laughs) and it's like, okay, now I should tell myself this more often because why not? What is stopping me myself? That's it.
0: What was the event? What was the time that you finally allowed yourself to say to yourself that you're scared? Um, I was actually
2: going to urgent care um, by myself and it was uh, my divorce was fresh and I, I mean, it still is, but like, I thought about who should I tell that I'm going to the doctor. And for me to admit and go to the doctor was a big first step. And I felt really alone. And then I felt, you know what? I'm scared. I'm scared and it's okay. And like tears came down. Um, and it was a, it was a big moment for myself and thinking back to all the times, I mean, shit, I, I, I climbed poles, you know, 45 feet in the air, lightning storm, wood pole, like surrounded by trees and everything. And I was scared, but I always told myself, no, I'm not scared. Hanging from a ladder 60 feet in the air that, you know, there's nothing underneath that ladder. It's hanging by the cross arm above me and no, I'm not scared. Why would I be scared? You know, I'm a man. I can't be scared. Uh,
0: yes. There it is. You joked to it earlier. And then you talked about it now, like allowing yourself to be afraid and being raised. Like, yeah, you can be angry. You can be angry, really angry or not so angry. Yes. But anything else. And then you'd get insulted or ignored or called a pansy or worse or whatever. Like crazy to think like we weren't allowed to have emotions. And
2: it's still, um, there's still people in my life that, will call me dramatic or tell me I'm making a big deal out of things. And it's like, I'm, I'm not, (laughs) I'm just telling you what's going on inside of me and that's it. Um, I'm not telling you what you have to do, but you know, this, it's something that when it comes to raising my sons that I'm actively changing. And yesterday, my oldest who's five was really emotional at drop-off for school. And when he finally said, daddy, I don't want you to leave. I realized what it was. And I just, I took him out into the hallway and I sat down next to him and I didn't tell him that he needs to toughen up or stop crying. I gave him a hug and I cried with him and I told him, I miss you too. I don't want to leave. And then after we were done, we got up, we walked into the room and he went and played with his friends. And instead of telling him or Trying to chastise him because I'm uncomfortable with my own emotions. I joined him. And if he doesn't remember that, he may not remember it. He's five. I will always remember it. And that creating that connection with my son, like that wouldn't have been possible a year ago, four years ago.
0: Magic parenting moment, magic moment of connection. And you're right. It's not about whether he remembers it or not. You remember it. And you didn't create a negative anchor moment, which is like, you know, you don't, you shouldn't show weakness, don't show feelings, don't say you're afraid. The Complete reversal. And that's, that's
2: where we as a community, as a society, we're moving there. But it'd be nice if we could be open minded, be opening to be wrong that, hey, maybe the way I've done things for 30 years, is not the best way. Maybe the way I've done things for 10 years, five years. And just be open to be like, let's try it. What's the worst that's going to happen? Like you said earlier, what's the worst? That it doesn't work. So I go back to what I did before.
0: Great. Okay. (laughs) What's so bad about that? And then you've got some evidence as far as like of what things do or do not work. And you've got another model to navigate the world versus pretending otherwise. Yeah. And I think the thing too, I love hearing you talk this out because there also comes a point of just, of like forgiving. There's like, just because I've done it for 30 years. Okay. Where did I learn it from? They had the best intentions. Yes. They might not necessarily, like, I, you don't need to label them as bad people. They learned what they learned from the people they learned it from. They did the best they could with what they had. They handed it to us. We can keep using this map and model of the world if we want, but if it is making us you know, making you frustrated, unhappy, don't like you see in the mirror, feel like you're hiding emotions, difficulty to connect with people, then it's okay to question the map and model. And if you're questioning the map and model and looking for a new way, you don't need to cast blame and create friction with past. They just, you can, you're, you have the the driver's, you know, uh, you're in the driver's seat and you can decide where you take the car from this point.
2: And you really alluded to, um, some other things like when you have that resentment when you have that you know that self-righteousness that self-righteous anger this is something that i still i fall into but i realize like that's really me being mad at myself and just putting it onto somebody else and if i'm doing that it's stealing my joy but also i'm not being honest about what i'm really feeling what's really going on in my life and you can't move forward unless you're honest and that's something that you nobody's saying forgive and forget but what we you know what is happening is what piece of it is you being mad at yourself and then what is that really down to inside of yourself and if it's something that you couldn't stop but you feel like you allowed to happen like be honest did you no and that's when you can start to make strides forward and stop living your life from a place of trying to forget that happening trying to mm-hmm. find some you know everything in your life is to show that that event didn't define you but because you're doing it it's kind of like with not drinking if you are living your life around not drinking You're not actually living your life. You're still allowing the alcohol to be a part of your life, a big part. But if you start to live your life like, oh, who cares if it's there or not? Like I can still go do this and have fun creating new memories, having, you know, and this is something you can like the new habits that you're putting in there and showing that there's a new, a different path. Like that goes, that's how you go to thriving. That's how you start living your life again.
0: I love it because everything you just talked about is really about how you take control. Because the resentment piece, my favorite quote is the Nelson Mandela quote, which is, "Resentment is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill your enemy." And the if you are in resentment and that kind of anger, then it's it's just you. So you are stuck in that loop. You're stuck not moving forward. You're it's you're the one feeling. It. You're the one carrying this around, and it's maybe invisible. To some people but it's coloring every aspect of your life how you're showing up as a parent as a partner or as a, a human in the world and yeah the the thriving that you keep talking about opens up on the other side of that
2: and there's one thing i always said that i wouldn't become and that's jaded and i did become jaded because i held on to that resentment and i wasn't honest with myself about who i was what i wanted to do what i was being and like If you look at yourself and you're like, I I am a little jaded, I am a little angry, it's okay to feel all of that. There's nothing wrong. Everybody feels it. But if we dig a little bit deeper and we lean into that pain a little bit, you're going to laugh on the other side. It doesn't matter how deep your tears are, how deep your crying is, there is laughter on the other side. And that is where you go from low to high and you start to include the highs in your life.
0: It's true. It's so funny. We avoid questioning, asking, exploring, owning any of these emotions, but then the highs that we seek, the deep connection that we all long for, and all that meaning is on the other side of being willing to, to admit and sit with and analyze and those feelings. And, you know, that's the start that's the start
2: like yeah. it's not necessarily the start start because for me it was like it's been very much so in the middle but that's okay um rob like you so you're a growth habit coach right like <laughs> so we want to change our habits especially around our emotions around our our morning routines right what is would you say like A good first step for that is
0: realizing that it starts before, like the in any good habit kind of model, whether it's James Clears or BJ Frog, they talk about the trigger and talk about the morning routine, which is a a fun one, a funny one almost because it is talked about so much in the self development space that it's almost tropey. And then it's just like, you know, people trying to carbon copy someone else's morning routine, or and then, but it's like, well. What's the why behind that? Okay, why is this important to you? Getting connected to the why so that there's some bigger motive. And then also the morning routine starts the night before. And anything you want to do and you want to change it, you have to go a step or two before. And either whether that's like internally, emotionally, like where's this coming from? Why do I want this change? What does this change mean? But also I don't care you know you can have your gym shoes set out and set your alarm and say you're going to do all these things. But if you're going to bed at one a m and you're spending the last two hours watching Netflix before you close your eyes, good luck getting up to go for a run at five am. Like it's just it it always starts before a community, like we talked about this before, and this you moving away, right? It's like a bunch of people know you as being a certain way, expect a certain thing from you. And if you start changing, And whether it's a small habit, like you're going to be someone who goes to yoga regularly, or it's a bigger one, like you're going to explore your emotions and look to find a way to connect with your purpose and passion so you can make your positive impact on the world and love who you see in the mirror, like small or big, if you continue running in the same circles with the same people who do the same things, you're going to struggle. And that's one of the best ways to shortcut or or hack a habit is to start spending time with people who are living the behaviors that you want to live who are being the kind of people that you want to be and then that becomes normalized because another big part of changing habits is you know you're enjoying it make it fun celebrate it so like if you and i lived in the same city and i wanted to start going to yoga and you're going to yoga regularly i start hanging out with you and you're You're going to yoga, you're talking about yoga, you're talking about you got this new yoga mat, and this person you met at yoga, like it normalizes the behavior. So it's a bit ranty, a little disjointed, but be clear on why you want to do it, go deeper. And as far as like anything you want to start, like go behind, like what are the triggers that kick this off to make it easier? And then if you just want a shortcut, like just change the people you hang around with, go find people who are doing the thing you want to do and implement, and it'll become a lot more natural for you. I love that. It's
2: yeah, I mean that's the bedrock foundation, right? And sometimes we look past it, especially this time of year. So, uh it's the end of January, but uh for those who are listening later, but it's like this is the time where people really start to try. But there's no bad time to try to change things. Just do it. Like there's nothing stopping you other than yourself and the excuses. And it's okay to be nervous.
0: It's totally okay to be nervous. It's funny they are bringing up the time of year because historically it was always the resolutions are going to change new year, new me and all that noise. And what I'm hearing a lot more of now, which I'm glad to see is like, fuck your goals and your resolutions, focus on your habits. Because there's those little things that you do on a regular basis. Instead of being like, you know, I want to weigh this many pounds. I want to be whatever. It's like, no, I'm going to commit to going to yoga five times a week. I'm going to run three days a week. I'm going to, and find those habits. And then but actually when you ask what habits too, the other thing is like, find the small step, find the on-ramp. So if your goal is to go to yoga, then message a friend like, Hey, we're going to go to yoga tomorrow. Leave your mat out. Like find these little ways that are on ramps that are going to increase the likelihood that you're going to do it. But yeah, it's funny. I have friends that that, um, work in the fitness space. And they talk about, you know, in January, you can't get into the facilities and then come February by the first, second week, of February, it's back to the same amount of people that we used to go before. And I, I
2: honestly, you know, to bring this back to alcohol, free sobriety, all that it's similar, right? You make it that 30 days, you have that one slip, same thing with like working out, like, you know, you make it, you have a, bad weekend right where you didn't go to the gym once you ate a bunch of sweets ate really crappy bunch of fast food you're just like well it's done i guess i gotta go back to my old ways instead of being like you know what okay i mean it happens it's hard to change a habit it's hard to do something new when you have all everything pointing back to this old way so let's just uh let's keep trying and now i know that that leads me to this so maybe i'll try to avoid that for now And then come back to it maybe a little bit
0: later. I like that because it's about like, for example, the sweets or whatever. The decision is made at the store. You don't bring it in the house. So you have to make the decision like you're at the cupboard and you have to hopefully have enough willpower to choose the right thing. The decision is made before. So again, like who you're spending time with makes an impact to that. But also your identity, like who you believe yourself to be is a really big deal. And I again, again, that's why I I applaud you moving across the country because it's if you're in the town they used to live in, surrounded by the same people who know the old version of you, they project this version of who you are, your expectation, their behavior, they want you to react a certain way. It's really hard for you to break out and start seeing yourself differently without doing something fairly drastic like that. But, because you see it all the time with someone who is, I don't know, is overweight, sees himself as overweight, considers themselves overweight, their internal dialogue is they're overweight. And then they're like, that's it. I'm going to change it. New are to me. I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to whatever, change my diet. And that will work for a little bit until there is, they get an upset phone call. They break up with someone. They got in a car accident. They were late for work there. Some trigger event puts them in a subpar state. And then they miss that day. Then they go for the fast food meal or whatever. And instead of going like, oh, this is a blip. I'm going to get back on it. Internally, they're like, I've always been overweight. This is who I am. So they slide back to that. There's a really great book, Psycho-Cybernetics. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. So fantastic book. And it's all about the role that the mind, the subconscious mind, the images that we have of ourselves and how they impact who we are. And the original author was a plastic surgeon. And he was an expert in face jobs, nose jobs, cheek lifts and stuff like stuff that visibly hugely changed the way someone appeared. He became fascinated with trying to understand how much impact the internal image that we carry of ourselves had because he had some clients where he did a total like redid the entire job changed the cheekbones everything and those clans came in upset and argued with him saying you didn't change anything i look the same and it didn't matter how much change he'd done with a scalpel internally the image they had of themselves was still the same and that opened his mind up to like oh there's a lot more at play here than me just changing someone's face if they don't change the way they're seeing themselves back to the identity piece then there's something more and then that's the book then just goes on like different ways you can change your identity, how that comes about the subconscious mind and all this stuff. But it makes a really huge difference on everything, how you see yourself, how you talk about yourself and the image you have on yourself. And one
2: pro tip from somebody who, uh, you know, was a former self loather. You don't have to go right from, I hate this person. You're such a pile of crap to, Oh my gosh, I love myself. You can just say, I'm okay. And get to a point where you feel like you're okay. You're not good. You're not bad. You're just, you are. And then you can start to work on actually, I kind of like myself and then you can move to love. Like it can be steps. It doesn't have to be the big jump that we're talking about. And I mean, you know, that's, that's something that can, that pre-work that you're talking about that on-ramp, like just get to the, to the neutral. So we're not stuck rolling in reverse at everything that we do. And that can change a lot very quickly in your life. So Rob, this has been an amazing conversation. If people would like to keep up with you, where can they
0: find you? The main place that I hang out online is LinkedIn. I'm also semi-active on Instagram. So I say those first because if I, where people tend to go and they pick up their phone or they you know, go online. It's tends to be on a social platform. Those are my main places. You mentioned my website earlier, growthhabit.org. And yeah, also if my book, if you're interested in this, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of stories of my journey, my transformation and, and everything, but there's lessons. There's a lot of lessons teased out through there too. So, um, the book might be for you.
2: It's a, It's a fascinating read. I really recommend people go out and get Died Before They Do by Rob Gilbert. And, um, you know, look up Rob on social medias too. Reach out to him and let him know how inspiring he is. And while you're there, tell him how handsome he is. Because let me tell you, bald men with a beard, we stick together. All right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that you ended on that because to anyone listening or watching, so the way that RJ and I connected is someone that I know came across a video of RJ talking about his nine years. And it was like a day or two days apart from mine. And she sent it to me. <laughs> Her name's Courtney. Courtney, if you're listening to this, thank you. Uh, and Courtney was like, this is wild, but also like you guys kind of look alike. So I sent <laughs> RJ a message as a total stranger being like, hey, handsome, love your haircut. And uh seems you you go to the same, uh, you, you know, you have the same beard as I do anyway. And just, but also connect on the fact that our nine-year anniversaries of living without alcohol were you know, a day or two days apart.
2: And it was, it's been magic from there. It's been absolute magic from there. <laughs> so uh, for people listening, this is Untap Keg, a podcast about sobriety and mental health, where we look at the different perspectives of sobriety and mental health so that you can take something and m- implement it into your own life. I'm RJ Zimmerman. Go to untapkegcom slash community and join a community off of social media of like-minded individuals where we are, you know, just growing, living life, having conversations. And also you can leave an affirmation or a mantra that you use that'll be put at the beginning of the show. You can find us on all social media platforms on tap Keg and reach out. DMs are open. And with that, let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today. Because at least we don't make it. We tried. I love you. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>